0: Hey guys. Due to entirely foreseen, totally avoidable circumstances, Podcast Guys Talking Erratic Errata is going to go on a two-week hiatus. We know this is a disappointment and that nothing can make up for it, that we alone send a shining beam of meaning into otherwise meaningless lives lived by rote. As an apology, we'll instead put out two episodes of an experimental thing we're doing called Podcast Guys Talking Erratic Errata, colon, Podcast Guys Talking To Erratic Errata. So get hype! Podcast Guys takes a long view and a long price. Spoilers will be commonplace. Listen at your own risk.
1: Good morning, faithful reader.
0: Welcome, fortunate seeker.
1: This is Podcast Guys Talking Errata,
0: Podcast Guys Talking Errata, is a whirlwind reread of a practical guide to evil. Where? A historian. And
1: a literature scholar. Tackle the big questions about one of the greatest novels of the age, such as... Will Snatcher build a castle? If red is rage, what are the other colors?
0: Why is Killian so bad at tactics? Who?
1: Grand designs in war are a thing of vanity. Victory goes to the general that blunders the least. Theodosius the Unconquered, Tyrant of Helica.
0: This chapter begins right after the claim, After all, I betrayed him first. And a great army appearing out of nowhere, tackling into Morak's flank. And it is six paragraphs before we get to any of the fighting.
1: Yeah, we, we lead in with Cat going on a sort of mental series of tangents, beginning with ogres and digging through Juniper's skill and sort of ending up with how to fight Morhawk specifically it's a it's it's a pretty lengthy battlefield aside, I suppose, but a solid intro to a chapter so I, I guess it works there but uh, yeah we don't we don't get right into the action um, but once the action does begin, most of this chapter is taken up with uh, uh, a, a battle, uh, the battle that's going on. Um, we get the betrayal of Morhawk. we get the eventual, defeat of moroc no spoilers um and a few important things happen along the way to help build up cat's legacy her reputation for instance she climbs up an ogre and punches it to death approximately um she wins this battle despite some of her plans falling through early or rather her snapper's plans falling through and we learn a little bit more about a couple of uh, cat's companions along the way uh, in uh, ways that are pretty important down the line, but right now just seem like uh, sort of side information, little, little tidbits of character building that are interesting but don't necessarily mean much. And the, uh, the chapter ends with some uh, pretty concerning news. Uh, there are raids going on. Light raids, but raids going on that are slowly bleeding cat of soldiers. And it's a nice foreshadowing for how the next chapter ends, the way this one ends. Um, And we will definitely get to that. But again, this chapter is mostly just wrapping up the battle with Morok and his scary giant wall of flesh and steel.
0: You neglected to note something in that, yes, this chapter ends with bad news, but it really starts with bad news. Catherine writes. I'm, I'm going with it. Catherine writes. I'd known from the beginning that the ogres would be the biggest problem. No pun intended. I rather loathed puns. Actually. Oh no. She has no taste.
1: Yeah. Cat's style of humor is more at the expense of other people, not at the expense of dignity. So, which isn't a slam on puns. I also like them. They're just
0: it's an acknowledgement right. that Catherine's account is currently bankrupt in terms exactly. of dignity.
1: Right. But. Like you said, ogres. She's talking about ogres being the biggest problem, Uh, and she the the way she approaches this is she thinks back to some of the studies she's done, some of the learning she's done um, in some old uh, some old military reading that she she did with um, Black, the Black Knight. You know that really important character with some reading that she got through the Black Knight, Um, and. None of those were particularly useful, she says, in how to deal with ogres specifically, Uh, though there is a a sort of offhanded reference here to how, quote-unquote, good old Terribilis had subdued a band of giants. And... I wonder what kind of music they play. uh, uh, Come on. (laughs) We talked about this. (laughs) And uh, that terminology is interesting to me. A band of giants. It's... Like my f- The first thought I have there is, is this like an adventuring band of giants? Are these like an adventuring party of, of giants that came after the emperor here? I don't know. It's, it's a, an interesting unit of measurement for, uh, an interesting group name for giants. Uh, I'm just kind of curious about this. The follow-up is uh, unsurprising, I guess. First of all, impressive to deal with any number of giants on your own, but... Terribilis does do it in a or did do it in a way that Kat admires, even if she can't emulate at this point. Uh, the way he d- did it was he put a small city to the flame and shot anything that crawled out. I guess that works. And uh, you can kind of see Kat taking notes on this for down the line.
0: Truly, the greatest of Calowans, following in the footsteps of Dread Emperors. Uh, that's Cat for you. Last episode possibly two episodes ago. In a previous episode, we, by which I mean I, suggested that Cat looking up old games was a very brief affair because there was no information there, as a, frankly, weak joke at the time. But it did introduce a valid open question. How detailed are the reports on these conflict? I could see a range of things. And Catherine here says that she'd looked into Juniper's old games, and how she'd beaten Morok every time they'd fought. And we see the kind of details she can get from these reports. In short, she outmaneuvered the Tenth. She'd systematically baited Morok into ground she'd prepared to turn the size of the ogres into a disadvantage, or outright mined them with demolition charges. With the Tenth dispersed or knocked down, she had her mage line concentrate fire on individuals until they were down for the count. The fact that the Hellhound had never used sharpers on the ogres indicated they probably wouldn't be effective. Something I taken heed of. There we go. We have turn by turn battle results. That's a level of thoroughness. Black would be pleased because he set it up.
1: Yeah, going into detail about which specific weapons were used against them is very in depth. You know, not just lured them into a trap and beat them that way, but specifically how that trap worked and uh, how, like, the exact logistics of it. Yeah, very impressive stuff. There is one detail in there though that kind of caught my eye. Juniper mind them, the ogres, with demolition charges. Now demolition charges we see and have seen are, you know, used for destroying fortified structures like walls and uh, ramparts and things like that. And she's using them as anti-personnel weapons against the ogres in a way that somehow means the ogres survive this because Morok still has his tenth of ogres. These guys are incredibly tough. Like, we know that they're tough. It, that's been talked about through here, and it's obviously implied. But just apparently taking a a demolition charge, and all that happens is they lose this pretend battle, and are still around to fight afterwards. Wow.
0: Well, you were an educated man, and you've heard of multiple battles in history, right? Uh, yes, at least two. Okay, so in... Those in that pair of battles, what happens when someone falls over in a battle? How bad is it?
1: <laughs> um, I legitimately that depends on what era we're talking about, I guess, but generally you, it's concerning if somebody just falls over in the middle of a the battle.
0: These these grounds that juniper baits the ogres into and or these demolition charges disperse or knock them down. So, ogre goes into battle, gets demolished falls over, and then in order to actually beat them, Juniper had her mage line concentrate fire on individuals until they were down for the count. Knocked over from demolition charges. Just, you this know, is the prologue. Yeah,
1: a big explosion that can tear a hole in a wall, and the ogre loses its footing briefly, and so to make sure that they stay down, you have ten people throw fireballs at it repeatedly until it can't stand up again. Yikes.
0: In the obscure and problematic Hasbro property that inspired better games such as Pathfinder, there's a creature called a Tarasque that needs, at least in the third point fifth edition, to be reduced to the point that would usually be death, and then wished to stay dead using the magical spell Wish, which is one of the most powerful magics out there, in order to actually defeat it. And these ogres remind me of it. Catherine has to fight a tenth of them.
1: I'm sure she'll be fine.
0: She will, because she has Pickler. Catherine decides that explosions are the better part of valor, as she will continue to, and gets Pickler to mine the entrance to her camp with charges which wouldn't explode, as they say, until enough weight presses down on them. Not the weight of an armored soldier, but the weight of an armored ogre, which... I don't think it's that fine of a difference. The square cube law means ogres must weigh at least, what, 1,500 pounds more? And whereas a soldier, based on what I've seen in our body negative media, probably weighs at least 120 pounds in armor. At least. But even though it's not that fine a difference, it's really cool that Pickler can manage that. I don't know what supplies she's given, but Pickler's good.
1: Yeah, I mean, the fact that there's a question here, it's not just, oh, we put in the anti-ogre charges. It was, okay, Pickler, rig something up, means that it was Pickler rather than a you know, basic supply issue. There was a question about whether she could do it. Obviously, she could. So yeah, it's it's impressive stuff. And for readers, re-readers, I suppose, no surprise, this is Pickler.
0: Wouldn't it be hilarious, though, if the supply actually provided anti-ogre charges? Hey, Morak. Just so people can beat you. Just to keep things fair. I I want some ogres, man.
1: The clever plot to deal with the ogres doesn't go as planned, because Morok is a pretty capable guy, it turns out. And they use some smaller explosives, sharpers, to set off the demolition charges. Um, oh, no! And good thinking on their part. Unfortunate for Rat Company. Uh they start to prepare for these heavies that are going to be coming in, and the ogres that are going to be coming in, and all of the the issues with oh, our first line of defense completely failed. And they, there's uh, uh, Morok uses some, or not Morok. I guess this is on their side, isn't it? Uh, smokes are tossed to sort of like slow down the enemy. There's a lot of confusion, a lot of chaos right here, partially because, as Kat notes, she's initiating a battle from a Formation that had been designed more to hide her intent than to prepare for the battle. Um, but the way that she tries to slow the enemy down is having the mages use their fireballs against the smoke. Basically throwing fireballs into the chaos, uh, into the, the what the smokers have created to keep the uh, enemy at bay. Uh, and the heavies, the, the line of heavies that was um, preceding the ogres, comes through entirely unharmed after a moment... And Kat is upset that Killian had failed to take out even one of these. Not ogres, but soldiers in armor. Killian being the lieutenant of the mage line, uh, for those of you who don't recall that name. Um, And it's rough because we're so used to this story revolving around such powerful characters, especially magic wielders, that having, you know, ten Legion cadets and their lieutenant around, they're just... You know, mediocre mages. They're probably not even part- even mediocre. They're throwing their fireballs as best they can, and it accomplishes exactly nothing. It's such a weird... It's humble beginnings for Cat to have magical allies who just can't do anything.
0: <laughs> we're, what, eight chapters away from seeing the Apprentice join the party? We don't have to worry too long. Yeah. But that also answers a previous question, where they were using, in all these battles less lethal techniques. And much like when American police forces do that, it only kills a couple people. But the mages aren't using less lethal fireballs. What's going on? Oh, they're just bad. They're
1: just really bad. Also, we have seen that the fireballs used by the mages don't seem to be particularly lethal here. I do wonder if they are using a modified spell or something because the lethality of the fireballs being used in these war games would lead me to believe they shouldn't be used on the battlefield, you know? yep, there's some flame and people catch on fire and there's a little bit of force, That's that doesn't seem like it would be worth having them instead of, you know, just crossbowmen or something. So I, I imagine that there's some kind of amping up that goes on uh, for actual battlefield spells, maybe.
0: This story is written from the single worst perspective for us to ever find out. Yeah.
1: cat cat has sort of a vibe with magic. She doesn't know all the details particularly well, huh? She
0: also has a vibe with the kind of Conflicts she gets into.
1: Yeah, we're we're dealing with a five-way melee, big mess of a storm of chaos. Everything shifting alliances as we see, five hundred soldiers on the field. All of these things, but the melee starts off with not two people going at each other, two are uh, uh, two companies going at each other or anything like that, but a big three-way fight to start things off. Like we're barely into the second day, and. Betrayal happens, which means there's two against one, which means we are starting things off with a massive 300 soldier melee <laughs> right in the middle of this all. We've got mages being being used to flank and soften up lines before there's contact. Wolf Company is pouring in the gaps while Kat's taking the brunt of the assault after her failed traps. Things are just going every which way to start this off. There's a lot going on, and... You know, it's, it's, I don't trial by fire for Cat? Sure, she had to deal with Juniper her first time, but this is...
0: Trial by fire was back in Summerholm.
1: Oh, okay. Trial by um, Sharpers. And Cat's uh, doing okay so far. We'll have to see what happens once the Ogres actually get in the mix. And once Morok begins to make actual plays other than just start a fight.
0: Thankfully, we know that Catherine is very adept at spotting such plays. Catherine Foundling we remember is the great battlefield whisperer. She looks out at what's happening and comes to a conclusion, acts on it and saves the day. Or at least her people do. Catherine's trying to figure out Morak's angle here. Why isn't he committing enough men to hold off Wolf Company for any reasonable length of time? (gasps) Wait a minute, he wants the camp, says Hakram. He's trying to push us out and use the fortifications to hold off Wolf Company. Hockram continues to fulfill his role and later roll by filling in wherever Cat fails to. I love it.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, that is that is a good observation that it's not just he's got a useful skill set. It's specifically a skill set that's letting him step into places where Cat is lacking things. Battlefield experience is an easy one right now. And yeah, it's a, it's a good setup for what's coming. It's also, gotta say, it's not a bold plan by Morok to say, hmm, I'm being attacked on two sides. I'm going to focus on one side and hope to win quickly enough to take advantage of that fact uh take advantage of fortifications against the other one that's that is bold and i i, I respect that 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 lines up with what we uh, know of moroc you know what little we do know of him so it's it's pretty cool
0: bold ugly probably cat's cousin on the orc side right already radface's line was having trouble with the tenth of heavies they weren't losing ground but they weren't pushing them back either a flurry of fireballs hit the ogres as they strode forward, but it barely slowed them. Killian hadn't thought to concentrate on a single target. Moving on. Yep.
1: Uh, as things start to go sideways here, Nock gets in uh, a fight with the ogres pretty much uh, directly. And... Well, Nock's a big guy. He's a big guy. Ogres are bigger. And he's, it, things go poorly for him until he gets really, really mad and starts fighting with his bare hands and climbing up an ogre to smash at the ogre's helmet with his bare hands uh, to the point of ruining his own hands. Here's where we find out that uh, that Nock is not a berserker, which is something else we learn, but rather someone who's got the Red Rage. We don't really know much about it uh, except at this point, except that it is... He gets really, really mad and starts fighting everything within reach until he drops. Friend, foe, it doesn't matter. Which, first of all, rough. Like, very rough. Second of all, is it just me or is it really weird that Blacks' legions don't test for that? Or, I don't know, do anything to prohibit people who are afflicted with this from joining? It seems like when you've built this large professional force designed around consistency and standardization that having somebody who might just scream and start punching allies around it would be a pretty big liability.
0: Yeah, it really does. Maybe there's a procedure for it, a an additional training for building a certain tolerance and a procedure for kind of abandoning a Red Rage boy in the middle of the battle when the time comes. It doesn't... I'm making excuses. I'm making excuses. I don't know what Black was thinking.
1: I wonder if that's I don't know because I'm trying to think of the people around him and it doesn't seem like any of them would have had an interest in seeing this around. You know, my first thought was maybe it's a cultural thing and Graham was big on not discriminating against orcs of the Red Rage or maybe.
0: Graham who refused to become warlord after right. <laughs> 50 years of being <laughs> asked. Right. I, that's what I'm trying to think.
1: I, I can't think of how this would have been forced through. And so it just oversight, maybe it's, Rare enough that it wasn't worth creating a a specific rule about. I I don't know.
0: It's Political correctness gone mad. (laughs) Truly. Wanna hear Catherine tell a joke? Of course. We performed a lot better against Juniper soldiers. I frowned. Ratface shouldn't be doing this badly. (laughs) 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 Oh, Oh, cat. Oh, man. Even in the
1: middle of a battle that's only going okay, she's still got it.
0: According to Wikipedia, the halo effect sometimes called the Halo Error, is a tendency for positive impressions of a person, company, country, brand, or product in one area to positively or negatively influence one's opinions or feelings in other areas. I'm beginning to think that Ratface is just hot. And every time people expect anything of him, it's just because, come on, look at him. He can handle it.
1: He's hot and got enough confidence to just start doing things. And, I mean... Yeah, who's going to tell him
0: no? I mean, look at him. I have been. Robber is a joy. He is my son, and he is a menace. He should never have been allowed into the legions. (laughs) Pickler, on the other hand, is truly a credit to goblin engineering, a credit to goblin competence, and a shame insofar as she fails to exhibit any of the chaos, or she too well channels the chaos of goblinity. And I love her for it. Hickler comes to Catherine and says, Captain, I should have taken Sharpers into consideration. This is my mistake. She was just following orders, followed them perfectly, enabled them, and then takes the blame for where the orders failed. There's a reason Catherine keeps her by her side forever. I love her. She is not my child.
1: No, she's she's very, very competent. She's one of the uh one of the great strengths of Rat Company and later cats entourage, but uh, she's not. she doesn't have that special something that a certain currently sneaking goblin does. Do you know that I have a son? You did mention that briefly.
0: Well, as Catherine waves aside Pickler's self-castigation, she says, I felt Robert sneaking behind me before I saw him. Names absolutely allow this kind of thing. We see Catherine move out of the way of arrows as they're being shot. It's just how names are. But they often play more powerfully with other names, don't they? All I'm saying is there's something special about Robber, my precious boy.
1: Like the fact that he confidently tells Kat that if you can get a sharper underneath the armor of an ogre, it'll take one out. Not, hey, I bet this would work, or I've heard this work, but if you do this, it will work. Why does this feel to me like it's not purely academic knowledge
0: robber has a thirst for knowledge and the commitment to pursue it wherever those paths may lead
1: yes that's definitely true and accurate and isn't covering up any other possible explanations for this little scene sometimes the
0: path leads to blowing up an ogre
1: sometimes but cat Attempts to follow that path. She moves in to start fighting the ogre. She heads to Mm -hmm. the nearest one, sees that it's a lieutenant, and she thinks to herself, hyping herself up, like, oh, I can handle this. And she thinks, this is just like sparring with Captain. (laughs) I don't... I think Cat is very confused. First of all, it sounds like the ogre is uh, six feet taller than Captain um, and intent on actually beating her up. And also, I would take Captain over an ogre any day of the week. And, um, Captain, I I just, I don't think putting a sharper under Captain's armor would take her out. I don't think anything that Cat tries here, Captain is so much, this is an absurd statement. I I understand she's just hyping herself up, but goodness gracious, Cat. But, uh, like I said, we've got half a dozen feet taller than Captain. We know that these ogres are 15 feet tall. Um, and during this fight, cat steps inside her enemy's guard and slaps the fat flat of her blade against the ogre's helm Cat's what three feet tall four feet i don't remember what we actually landed on assuming the sword's a few feet tall is the ogre like squatting down to fight cat in her super condescending way like is she is she really just playing mind games by you know doing the squat with the arms rested on her on its knees as it fights cat I, How else is she reaching this thing's helmet?
0: (laughs) I'm beginning to think that height in this universe is relative. In the prologue, Warlock throws his arm around Captain's shoulder. Mm -hmm. We see people treating 30-foot falls as though they're not just death, even though they must be. Yeah, Maybe they're using Imperial French feet, which I believe are smaller than standard English Imperial units. No, they were bigger. That's why Napoleon was so short. Because he wasn't.
1: Right. I guess maybe, but...
0: No, that doesn't work. Yeah. Maybe when she slips inside the enemy's guard, she runs up the warhammer handle. That's how you get in the guard, because, uh... frankly, I I am not a uh, killing people with a sword, but I think if you were standing on my bicep while I was swinging my sword, I would not be able to get a good angle on you, much less if I had a warhammer.
1: So Kat is Legolas-ing this this ogre. I gotcha.
0: Honestly? I I can buy that. Impractical as that is, is there any other way?
1: I mean, like I said, unless the ogre crouched down to condescend on Kat really hard, yeah, it's probably that.
0: I've never played Shadow of the Colossus, but it always looked cool. Sorry, unrelated. Uh, I appreciate Catherine deeply. Mm -hmm. She begins play as a Chaos Gremlin, but it's something that her very name encourages in her. She gets clipped by the hammer, she gets kicked in the chest, she nearly vomits, she worries she felt her chain mail loosen, which I think would mean something has to collapse inside. And so Catherine grabs the sharper she dropped and runs in her opponent's direction, thinking, come on, these are pretty horrible odds, doesn't it count as a struggle? She, she has to throw herself off of every cliff she encounters if she wants her name to work for her. Yes, everything is her fault. But the way she is isn't entirely her fault. By the end, is it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's. I, I think it goes both ways. I think the name built it built this specific mantle sort of around who Cat is, and you know, it, it exacerbated the problems a little bit. It very much feels like <laughs> like a, uh, a min-maxing video game strategy. Okay, so if I am always outnumbered, if things are, if I do the odds against me, just fractionally, I get this power-up that's better than if I were slightly but, you know, okay, I've got to make sure that I'm always in these fights that are as awful as possible so that I can use my aspect. Seems like that's not the most long-term, like the most sustainable strategy out there. And, uh, speaking of strategies that aren't sustainable, um, my fingers crackle... I see what
0: your next point is, and I don't understand why that's the... Segue into it. Unsustainable?
1: My fingers crackled with pitch black energy, and I punched the sharper as hard as I could. Everything after the word and just goes downhill. Like every word goes downhill farther. Cat just rears back and barehand punches a sharper. <laughs> she is so absurd. Naturally, uh there's a little bit of. Uh, of power involved here it's not just raw punch she also pushes some of her named power into it which i I do want to talk about actually uh you know more than just the meme of cat punching out an ogre um in order to use this power she talks about having to um dig into her aspect slightly you know like you mentioned uh this is struggle she says that her name stirs slightly but there's no sudden influx it's just a trickle of power is all she's getting out of this and she she needs that. She uses that to set off the Sharper. Later on, Kat and other people who have other named are able to use their named power consistently as long as they're not drawing specifically on an aspect or uh, you know, if they do use an aspect, it's a big flashy thing. And I'm wondering, being able to draw on this tiny bit of power, is this because she's not proficient yet? She hasn't um, practiced enough? Is this just because she's only the Squire? Is this... Uh, a case of her name still being mostly locked to her. It's just a a weird, very hard limiter on her power. Um, You know, she's not exactly using struggle to become much stronger and tougher. She's using it to fuel a tiny bit of supernatural energy to set off an explosive. Um, So I just, I think from that, I really want to uh, keep an eye on that going forward. Uh, Kind of pay attention to how Kat... As the squire uses her power, whether that's something that develops over time or whether there's a switch when she's no longer the squire. I I don't know. I'm I'm just curious what all plays into into this limitation.
0: That's an exceptional point that I did not tap into. For as blunt an instrument as Catherine Foundling often makes herself to be. She later on really does have easy finesse in so many things. Mm hmm. She hasn't exhibited an iota of that yet, in any way, shape, and, or, (laughs) form. Not in the slightest. But at least she has some power. Unlike our much-derided mages, after she blows up an ogre with a punch, someone calls out, That's their captain! She's on the priority target list! I don't understand why they necessarily need to have the second part of that. That's their captain. But she's not a priority target. Don't worry about winning, everyone. (laughs) <laughs> but Rat Company sends volleys of fireballs into the shield wall, and they're less bright than they were at the beginning of the fight. My mages were getting tired, having had no effect on anything. They look good, but uh, Kendra needs to direct her people better.
1: He really does. To kind of step up where her mages have failed, Cat Challenge tries to challenge Morok to a duel. Obviously, that does nothing. It accomplishes nothing there's someone makes a comment about more or less she probably has a concussion from punching a sharper um and so cat starts to take stock of the situation and realizes nine of the ten ogres are down as much as we make fun of rat company that's pretty good they're in a melee they didn't do anything tricky particularly and they've taken down you know cat took down one so they've taken down eight ogres that's fantastic
0: um she sees this when she's trying to bait out Captain Morak. She realizes that to salvage her, not battle strategy, but war strategy, she needs to really minimize the terrible losses she is about to take. And so she relies on Morak's pride. Captain Morak, she says in all caps, come out, you wretch. You and me out here on the field. And Morak, ugly as sin, is. Clever as the devil? That's a good parallelism with Sin. Yeah. And says, lizard company, forward. Good for him. Yeah. And also, that's probably why we never hear from him again. He's not much of a character in a metaphysical sense.
1: Yeah. Actually, Um, in a weird way, him taking the duel would have made so little sense on a lot of levels. Because it would have inflated his importance right before he doesn't get to have any importance ever again. So <laughs> the duel was not, not a good call on Cat's part and obviously not going to happen from a, a, a meta standpoint, meta narrative standpoint, but things start to swing in Cat's favor a little bit. Uh, mostly because Wolf has been doing a great job of taking advantage of Morax uh, or of um, Lizard's uh, Lizard company's distraction and dealing with rat company. Um, and, Cat realizes he's nearing destruction, he's nearing loss. And so we get a little bit of a description of how elimination works. Um, If every officer in the company of lieutenant or higher is incapacitated, you're out. Makes sense. If you no longer are a functioning army, you can't function. Um, And then the other side is 80% of soldiers being incapacitated. Uh, Eight in ten soldiers. uh, That's enough to knock you out, which uh, is so absurdly high 80% it's that's basically from like a, a strategic standpoint like dealing with in an actual military 80% is more or less annihilation numbers like at that point you aren't a company anymore you aren't an army anymore you're just a few people who have matching uniforms and the fact that the game requires that heavy not not a, a low but achievable amount it makes sense when you have so few numbers that you you can't just say ah 10 people get knocked out the game's over but it's still those numbers are so high
0: which i think might function as a piece of incentive to never give up too because if that's what it takes to take them out you're going to get hurt if you don't keep working you don't get to give up Mm -hmm. can i complain about something almost completely off topic sure yeah it's my podcast uh i hate the word decimation or rather, I hate the original Roman meaning of the word decimation. I hate it, I hate it, I hate it.
1: Because it's flipped in your mind? It is. It's the wrong, it is. 10% the wrong way.
0: Gradation is making something graded, or something that has been made graded. Alliteration is something that has been made alliterative. Deprivation is something that has been made to be deprived. Gratification is something that has been made to be gratified. Why isn't decimation something that has been made to be a tenth. You need to kill 90% for it to be decimation in the way the word feels. And I get it. And I know that's not even how language works. And even if it is how language works, it doesn't matter how language works, because language doesn't work. And because I like saying Latin things, I know that it's also in Latin decimatio, which has nothing to do with that. i complaining about. It. But come on! It should be opposite. Does it feel that way to you? It feels that way to me. I have feelings.
1: It. Yeah, the... I think the problem is, for me, the modern use of the word decimate, like the modern, if not literal definition, which I actually I think it is, the modern actual, like in English, the uh, definition of the word doesn't mean 10%. It means basically completely destroy or remove or whatever. So with that baggage attached to looking at it, it does feel backwards for sure.
0: What's also backwards is the order of spells cast here. As they're beginning to win, Catherine says it's only a matter of time now, and then there was a sudden flash of lightning from Aisha's mage line, and a bolt struck in the middle of the enemy's formation. I couldn't see who they'd hit, and the effort seemed something of a waste, but a few heartbeats later, thunder rumbled in the distance. Lizard Company's Standard appeared as a giant image in the sky, a red streak across it. Eliminated. She must have aimed for Morak. I don't know what defensive magics they have on hand, but also I didn't know they had lightning. I thought they were just fireballs and healers for the most part, so Wolf Company's got better mages, I guess. What, but... than, than rats? Shocker. Yeah, but Rat has Kimberly, who's a special character. She's got a name. But what defenses did they have against majory? I'm I'm just curious, why don't they just straight blast each other's captains if they've got that power? Come in, blast Morak. Hang out, chat, rest, in the morning before you start moving, just blast Catherine, rest, wait for someone to show up, find Snatcher if things aren't working, and just wait for Snatcher to appear at the battlement, lightning, nap, wait around, recover, go find Juniper, and then get beaten because it's Juniper. I'm just curious, what anti-majorie is there?
1: Yeah, I, I also was thinking about that. I. I have to imagine there's limitations on this. Like it knocks out the caster because they're actually just kids more or less, or there's, you know, it's such a long windup that it's obvious it's happening and you, you know, it's easy to get somebody else in the way to block it, or it can be easily deflected by a shield. If the person sees it coming or it's not enough to take somebody fresh out and they have to be injured or hired already, you know, they're, could be any number of limitations on this that mean it has to be done as a surprise when you're already winning the fight more or less but it is it is odd to see okay we're slowly winning and a single spell knocks out the captain and nothing else mattered (laughs) It's, it's uh it's definitely a weird moment without the without any more context
0: maybe morax like the celestial pillars in terraria and you have to kill the minions first before you can actually attack the pillar itself
1: recently you were referring to Morak as being some kind of supernatural being or other. Maybe he is celestial? That's what you were saying, I think.
0: Which means, if there are four of those pillars, that makes Catherine the Moon Lord, which is exactly opposite. This does not work.
1: Hmm. I mean, Duchess of Moonless Nights, yeah, that's a little rough.
0: Catherine's just the protagonist, so she doesn't count. We've got the four pillars here, and then Catherine, as protagonist, has to go on to work to slay the moon the story gets derailed when she gets eaten when her mantle gets eaten but that's the story we were building up to of course it all makes sense now speaking of things adjacent to things that would make me say that's rough buddy lizard company has been beaten and blown up and lightning and shamed and ruined now they're going to get picked up or teleported back or something right they're they're out of the game yeah well Mages from all companies were already at work on the wounded, the rats and wolves, because we needed to get moving before too long, and the lizards, because they needed to be able to march to their pickup point before being escorted back to Otter. Uh, that's just rough. That march of shame. Maybe they have to walk past some of the other companies and just, hey. It's
1: it's right in line with the thing we commented on after, uh, rat beat first company with you have to stand there in front of the enemy company and shout. And when your captain says one sin, you have to shout defeat. You know, like we've done the one bad thing. It, it the, Basically what we're seeing is the college functions or relies very heavily on shaming losers, which, which makes perfect sense. Philosophically, you've got exactly one thing that's considered bad. One thing that's worth, being punished for, I guess. Might as well do that.
0: But not everyone deserves punishment. The butcher's bill, says Catherine, wasn't as bad as it could have been. Ratface had played it out conservatively and barely had a handful of wounded to his name. I think this is Ratface's crowning moment as a strategist.
1: I'm so proud of our extremely hot former captain.
0: And I'm proud of Catherine as well. Her tactical ingenuity really saw the day one.
1: Yeah, Aisha compliments Kat on the trick with the smokers, the blinding uh, Morak to set things up. And (laughs) Kat responds, you know, basically, of course, yeah, do my best, acting kind of humble and then quickly moving on. And (laughs) I think in this we see the seeds of the queen who will absolutely adore a certain General of hers down the line, who just really is someone special. I, we this is this very much reads as a, a as an Abigail moment, and it's it's very fun to see Kat in that position so early on.
0: Speaking of things beginning early on, it's only been five minutes since Catherine walloped an ogre, and Aisha says, "Is that why I'm hearing chatter about you getting so angry you punched an ogre into unconsciousness?" It begins. Catherine Smith has started. She's still pretty much nobody, but soon her confidence alone can turn aside the cataphracts.
1: And it is fitting that, this, uh, that her legend is being built in this game, that we spent some time talking about how it could be stacked against her, you know, this, this situation that we knew was going to be especially rough for her. She's going to be the underdog pretty frequently as a villain. Um, but we get a little bit of detail there, um, we we talked about wondering how exactly, Air, yeah, how exactly Eris would uh, influence this, and we find out specifically, uh, Kat and her soldiers are missing. Based on how I understand this to work, about four hours of time that everybody else got to prepare for the battle. Uh, Ooh, that's a that's a rough one. I gotta say,
0: probably game over already.
1: Basically, there's some back and forth about how they're going to find and deal with Fox Company, um, knowing that every minute they give Fox company is another layer of fortification they have to deal with. Um, but uh, we get a little bit of uh, cat trying to figure out a little, uh, some more about her, her own company. Um, and she offers a very polite description of Ratface and saying he's too conservative when he commands. Okay. Uh, sure. You just say that he's got one little flaw and that's why he's doing so poorly. Very nice cat. But she also says, I, you know she understands why Nock can't be in charge, because he might just start screaming and punching his lieutenants. But she asks why Killian and Pickler aren't captains, why they never, why they never tried to become a captain, why they never stepped up in charge of Rat. Um, and uh, we learn first of all, Pickler just isn't good at advanced tactics. Apparently, that she failed the class because she doesn't care. It's not engineering, so. put zero effort into it cool
0: as somebody who plays any game competitive cooperative video board play by post with exactly that kind of attitude i respect her so much i'm there to do the thing i care about and nothing else matters
1: (laughs) exactly pickler knows what she's about and that's worthy of respect but the reason killian didn't uh ever step up was she has some kind of condition from her creature blood knock tells her no tells cat uh if she does too much magic she starts speaking in tongues so now we found out that uh that's half of cat's officers who just stop being a functional person if they do the thing they're supposed to do too much uh rat face is a mess obviously but maybe the deck was Yes, absolutely. Sorry, I should have clarified. But maybe there's another reason why Rat Company has struggled so much, that they keep promoting people who can't be leaders in battles.
0: Okay. Yes, you can't count on Rat Officers. But what's the opposite of Officer? Chump?
1: Like Enlisted Soldier or just Regulars?
0: But the Regulars can be relied upon. They're not going to just vanish in the line of duty.
1: Kat wakes up after getting some rest and is putting on her boots uh, when she hears the news from Hakram that seven of their sentries have disappeared. Seven, which is presumably a significant chunk of their sentries, and also 7% of their entire fighting force at the beginning. Uh, They've had some losses already, but yikes, that's a rough night. Seven sentries.
0: And they talk about it. They try to figure it out. Okay, their munitions are untouched. Great. So what's going on? And Catherine realizes, oh, it's Juniper. Now, while I have the urge to reference the meme where the astronaut is looking at the earth and then there's the astronaut with the gun to their back saying always was, because of course it always was Juniper. Instead, my comment is, what rules out Snatcher? I know Snatcher would want the munitions, but this seems like a really easy way to soften an opponent even more before they attack your hardened self. Yeah, I probably
1: just... She's put Snatcher in the he plays defensively category and is just assuming that's where he is. And also, this seems to have been pretty well executed since the sentries just disappeared. And that smells of juniper. Like the tree or what does juniper smell like? Really, really good military skills, like leadership.
0: I love the smell of really good military leadership in the morning. I think
1: with that, (laughs) we'll have to call this episode on that high note because that is all
0: the time we have for today, folks. Join us next week on Podcast Guys talking to Radic, Radic as we discuss betrayals. Betrayals! And betrayal. Ratface's incredible tactical prowess.
1: Look, the interrupting thing works when there's a surprise aspect built into it, but we all know about Ratface's skills. Wait in their blood. podcast guys talking erratic errata is a fan-made podcast discussing erratic errata's a practical guide to evil check out the full serial at practicalguidetoevil.wordpress.com intro music for this episode was cradle of your soul by lemon music studio music for the epigraph was funny organ intro outro by julius h outro music which even now is elevating my voice to the realms of the divine is price of freedom by daddy s music the music is provided by the generous license of pixabay.com music go and support all the artists who make this work possible by providing their stories and sounds free of charge if you'd like to support this podcast follow us on twitter at the long price you have questions, comments, or contributions? Are you overwhelmed by the urge to correct our errors? Email us at thelongprice@gmail.com. At if you'd like to materially support our work, find our Patreon at patreon.com/pgtee. Join the ranks of our patrons and be called by name. Receive personalized stories and art or even join a PGTE-inspired RPG. We implore you Don't consider joining unless you're already supporting the artists who make this all possible. Special thanks to our patron and liege, always the claimant, never the named, as well as the hordes of cattle below. Next week, Chapter 25, Nackers' Plan.